Ever since I saw the movie Hacksaw Ridge, it's been hard for me to disconnect one moment in that movie from these parables, especially the parable of the shepherd and the lost sheep. Now, if you've seen the movie, you know that Hacksaw Ridge is the true story from World War II of a World War II Army medic named Desmond Doss, who was a conscientious objector but who also won the Army Medal or was awarded the Army Medal of Freedom for service above and beyond the call of duty. He, he was a Seventh-day Adventist and he had a, uh, a commitment, a conviction to pacifism. He didn't want to carry, to wield a weapon, to hold a weapon, but he also wanted to serve his country. And so he enlisted in the army, he became a medic, and as he went through training, the officers and his fellow soldiers really taunted him. They persecuted him, they pushed up against him, they were trying to get him to give up. They were trying to get him to quit, but he wouldn't quit. No matter what happened, he would not quit. Then fast forward to the front in the Battle of Okinawa, the troops were just absolutely decimated. And they assumed that everyone was lost and the ones who weren't were running away. But in the midst of all of that, Desmond Doss went into the area where the soldiers lay dying and dead. And what he began to do at that point was, one by one, pull each soldier that he found out, put them on his back, carry them away, and then lower them over the side of the cliff to safety and medical help. In fact, the next morning, people in the medical tent were saying, "Who? how do these people keep coming? And they said, there's some crazy person up there lowering soldiers down to safety, even some of the Japanese soldiers. And after it was all over, or in the midst of it, um, one thing I miss that's really important is that really struck me is that Desmond Doss, as he was going into the mud and the muck and the fire and the smoke, is he was muttering this prayer over and over again. And the prayer was, Lord, help me get just one more. Lord, help me get just one more. Lord, help me get just one more. So he's going in there in the mud and the muck and the smoke and the, the fire going off and, and he's, Lord, help me get just one more. Help me get just one more. Help me get just one more. And overall, he was awarded the Medal of Freedom for saving 75 U.S. soldiers and those are only the ones who survived. Let me get just one more. And this prayer... In this image of Desmond Doss running back into a war zone, doing whatever he could, completely willing to sacrifice himself without a weapon, to save just one more resounded in my heart and mind again as I read these parables this week. As I said, especially this parable about the shepherd with the 100 sheep who was willing, when one was lost, to leave the 99 in the open field in order to do whatever it would take to find the one, put her on his shoulders, and carry her home to safety. Now there's a whole lot that could be said about these parables, but if you hear nothing else today, hear this and don't forget it. That is how much the God of the universe loves you, and that is what the God of the universe has gone through 
to save you. These two parables are sometimes called parables of persistence. And they are because they symbolize God's reckless, relentless pursuit of each one of us. That neither the 99 nor the 99 million are enough for God. If one of God's children is wandering, wounded out there, suffering, lost, and alone. God is like a woman. A woman who is obsessively looking for one treasured lost coin. God is like a shepherd looking behind every stream, every tree, every bush, within every feeding pack of wolves for one treasured lost sheep. God is like a peace-loving army medic who's willing to run into the mud and the muck of enemy fire, risking everything even for those who persecuted him in hopes of pulling out just one more. And when he does, Jesus says the angels in heaven rejoice. Now what in the world was it that prompted Jesus to tell these stories? Well, notice the context. The context that prompted Jesus to tell these stories was muttering. What they were muttering about. What was the mutter with them? This context is that Jesus was prompted to tell this because they were muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man is spending too much time with those across enemy lines, they muttered. This man is spending too much time in the mud and the muck, they muttered. This man is spending too much time with the ones he really ought to leave alone, they muttered. This was the muttering of men who believed they knew what God was like and who God liked. This was the muttering of men who believed that Jesus was going about his life and ministry all wrong. This was the muttering that prompted this parable, the parables that no doubt caused even more muttering after they were over. Because you see, as veiled as these stories sometimes seem to us, they were rarely received by their original audience as subtle. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law knew exactly who they were in these stories, right? They were the 99. They were the nine. They were the ones who were never lost. And as much as we'd like to think these parables are only about a lost sheep, a lost coin, or later a lost son, they are at least, if not as much, just as much about the never lost. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the never lost in this scenario. And one might think they'd be okay with that. That they'd actually be happy about that. That was the point of following the law of God, right? To be close to God. To be next to God. They worked so hard to be in step with God. To be near God. So that they never wandered an inch away from the exact place where they knew God wanted them to be. Right by God's side. Yep. They were right by God's side. 
Right by God's side. Never lost, never leaving, right by God's side. They were standing there right by God's side except, where did God go? That's the edge that Jesus knew he was sharpening in this parable. The shepherd, the God figure in the first parable, had left the 99 to go out and find the one and didn't just leave them, left them in the wilderness. The wilderness. Jesus doesn't say the shepherd put the 99 in a pen for safety. Jesus doesn't say that the shepherd asked another shepherd to babysit the 99 sheep so they'd be okay. Jesus doesn't even mention that the 99 were just asked to wait quietly by a safe piece of green pasture resting by some quiet water. No, Jesus says that the shepherd left the 99 out of his 100 sheep hanging out exposed in the wilderness. Vulnerable to predators while he went off looking for the one. Now, who would do that? Who would do that? It doesn't make any sense. And it gets worse. Did you notice that once the shepherd finds the one lost sheep, he doesn't even instantly go back to the fold of the other 99? And did you notice that when the female God figure in the second parable finds her one lost coin, she doesn't immediately put it back in the box with the nine others? No, instead of going back, In both cases, these somewhat unconventional God figures call all their friends together to celebrate the found ones with them. So why is this fellow welcoming sinners and eating with them? Why indeed? And to that point, there's something else in here we should notice about the ones in this parable. Notice this, they are never not included. They are never not included. The lost sheep may lose its way, but it never loses its belonging. The lost coin may get separated from the others for a while, but it never ceases to belong to the woman. The lost ones are always included in the count. In other words, these parables show us that from the point of view of God, that from the point of view of Jesus, inclusion is the starting point, not the ending point. The shepherd does not have a flock of 99 sheep and a dream of wanting to have a full hundred, and so he's going out working, trying to earn enough money to buy one more sheep that would belong so that there would be 100 sheep. The woman doesn't have nine coins and she's continuing to work hard so she can complete the set with ten and one day have one more coin to have a full set of ten. No. It was a group of 100. It was a group of ten. They all belonged. Lostness here is not about exclusion from God. 
It's about losing the experience of knowing who you really are to God. Lostness is not about exclusion from God here. It's about losing the experience of knowing who you really are to God. The lost ones may be lost, but they always belong to God. They always belong to God. And once we understand that, we can understand that these parables are really ultimately about cases of mistaken identity. I'm reminded of the story of the teacher who asked her primary school class one day, if all the good kids were painted red and all the bad kids were painted green, what color would you be? And after a long pause, one little boy responded, probably striped. And of course he's right. We're all striped. We're all beloved children of God who are also dreadfully lost sinners at the same time. And so these parables really are less about supposed saints and supposed sinners than they are about the 99 and the nines out there who have forgotten that they too are lost. And they're about everyone out there who has come to believe the lie that they do not belong to a loving God who is actively, persistently, passionately pursuing them. And by the way, which one are you? By the way, which ones are we? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law knew it, do we? I think we'd be hard-pressed these days not to see the church as the 99. The never lost, who if we're really paying attention, may look up one day and look out one day and find that while we're in here doing things the way we want them done, God is out there doing the way God, doing the things God wants done. We're in here doing the the things the way that we want them done, all the while muttering about How God is behaving out there, doing the things God does to get God's things done. God's out there sitting at tables where we're not quite comfortable yet. God's out there trekking through fields that seem a little bit too fierce, a little bit too foreign, Furiously searching every crevice and every corner, looking for just one more, just one more, just one more. Because see, see, with God's children, it seems there's always one more wounded waiting to be found. And so God's out there looking for one more all the while, waiting and wondering if we're ever going to wake up and join the effort. God's out there looking for one more, just one more. All the while wondering if we're ever going to wake up and join the effort. Some of us this morning need to wake up. Some of us this morning need to wake up and remember who we are. We need to remember whose we are. We need to remember where we are. And we need to remember how far we've wandered. Some of us here this morning need to wake up and remember the last time God found us out there lying, broken, bleeding in the dark. 
When Private Doss found those wounded soldiers lying there in the dark, guess what? Even though they'd persecuted him, they didn't push him away. They didn't push him away or tell him to do it different because see, when you're broken down and wounded, lying in the dark, you know without a shadow of a doubt that without a Savior, you're lost. And this morning, all of us, I think, need to look up and look out to see where God is actually working in the world. Because we have a Savior who has already clearly shown us that God's heart is not striped. God sent Jesus to seek and save the lost, not to huddle up safely with the found. The mission of the church is not to protect ourselves against sinners or to keep ourselves from them. It can't be. Because we are all, in fact, always sinners. Always in need of God's rescuing. No matter how, no matter how saintly we may seem to ourselves. And once we acknowledge that, Once we get that, once we agree with God about that, and that is what biblical repentance means. It is about understanding that we have been disagreeing with God and that we have now seen and known and discovered something and we want to turn around and agree with God. And once we get that, once we understand that, then we tap into the heart and soul and meaning of repentance in these stories which is to acknowledge, accept, and agree with God about who we all really are. Not the nine, or the ninety-nine, but each and every one of us, children of the living God, saved by God's amazing grace. May May the angels in heaven rejoice as we stand now and sing our hymn of response.